Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 363. It's titled, Why Most Cities Don't Die. Last week, LaPrelle and I visited New York City. We hadn't been there in two years due to the pandemic. We typically visit every fall. I like the variety, the diversity, the large scale of the city, the randomness of walking and discovering a new shop, a new restaurant, meeting someone new, or discovering something I hadn't seen before. I didn't used to like New York City. I found it overwhelming, but I was also curious about the city. My parents drove from Cincinnati to New York for their honeymoon. Growing up, I thought that was an odd choice. Why not Hawaii? My first time in New York City was on my first business trip, but the trip wasn't even to New York. I was a temp worker for an information technology company. I was getting ready to go to graduate school. And this company sent me to Parsippany, New Jersey, along with my boss, to train the replacement for my job. My boss had never been to New York either. So we drove into the city. She asked me to drive, and I drove. We never got out of the car. We had no maps, no GPS. We just drove straight in, probably took the Highland Tunnel. I remember driving past Times Square and leaving the city on some bridge. A few years later, I started going to New York regularly to research investment managers. I was always a bit tentative. One manager was kind enough to show me how to use the subway instead of spending so much on taxis. I've now visited New York City dozens of times, but never in the midst of a pandemic. Like most places, COVID-19 has been a huge economic shock to New York. One million jobs have been lost. The unemployment rate jumped to 20%. Over a 1,000 restaurants closed. Over 90% of the 1.5 million office workers began working from home. I wasn't sure what we would find when we went to the city. There were clearly more storefronts that were empty, more graffiti, more litter in some places. But as we walked the streets of Soho, Tribeca, the meatpacking and Flatiron districts, and other areas, the streets were full of people. They were as crowded as I've ever seen them. People shopping, eating at restaurants. Most restaurants have built outdoor seating areas on the sidewalk or in the street by the curb. Four years ago, in episode 171 of the podcast, I shared some work by Jeffrey West from his book Scale. In there, he points out that cities scale in a super exponential way. 
as they get bigger, they get more efficient and grow faster. The bigger the city, the more economic output per person. There are economies of scale as a city grows because it requires less infrastructure per person. As cities get larger, the dynamics of social networks lead to greater wealth creation and innovation. There's an increased pace of life. Things just happen faster. New businesses are born and die more frequently. Commerce is transacted more rapidly. People even walk faster, 15% faster in cities versus smaller towns. There's more interaction, more opportunity to be creative, make connections in your daily working life. New York City is the largest city in the U.S., but only the 11th largest in the world. The largest is Tokyo, one of my other favorite cities. Cities are complex adaptive systems. They adapt and change over time. New York and other cities will adapt to this COVID shock. Despite all the people on the streets of New York, only about 30% of office workers have returned to the office. The unemployment rate, which got up to 20%, is still at 10%. It was 3.8% prior to the pandemic. Overall employment in New York is down by 300,000, including 100,000 less office workers. Despite that, all during the pandemic, the amount of office space continued to increase. There's 13 million square feet of office space under construction. Total office space is 405 million square feet. New York has the largest office sector in the country. The vacancy rate is very high, 18% vacancy rate, up from 11% back in 2019. That has hurt property values of some of the most expensive office properties in New York. The World Trade Center values down 23%. If we look at the average valuation decline of the top 10 office properties in New York, down about 13%. New York's starting to come back, but there's a long way to go. Not every city is rebounding as quickly as New York. Certainly, some of the cities in the Sun Belt have done better economically. LaPrell and I were in Seattle in July, and that city seemed like it was under a little more duress as we walked downtown. But there are cities way, way worse. In Haiti, gangs control up to 40% of Port-au-Prince, the city of 2.8 million people, where gangs fight each other over territory on a daily basis. That amount of gang violence comes and goes depending on the state of Haiti's economy, which right now is not doing well. The president of Haiti was killed on July 7th, and then there was a 7.2 magnitude earthquake that killed more than 2,200 people in August. Gangs have taken more and more control. 328 kidnappings have been reported by Haiti's national police in the first eight months of 2021 compared to 234 in 2020. The Economist points out that it's hot dog vendors being targeted, priests, school children, business owners being held for ransom. There's extreme poverty in Haiti. 60% of the population makes less than $2 a day. And given these economic shocks, including COVID, Haiti's economic output or GDP dropped by 3.3% last year. 
and its currency depreciated 50%, which pushed inflation due to rising import prices over 10%. These gang members are recruited as young as age six or seven. By their late teens, they can be in high-ranking positions and most will be killed by the time they're 30. Delmi Bellman, the 44-year-old manager at a hardware store, as reported in The Economist, said, I'm living in a chaotic country where his two children, ages 9 and 12, can't even go outside to play. Whenever they are in the car, they are looking right and left. And when motorcycles approach the car, I can feel they are scared, afraid they're going to be kidnapped. Why is it that some cities thrive while others fail? As I gave this some more thought, there were two things that came to my mind. One is an overconcentration of power and two, selfishness. Jeffrey West, in his book Scale, compared cities to companies. He pointed out that companies are typically operated on a highly concentrated top-down fashion with a focus on increasing efficiency, optimizing the company, minimizing operational costs in order to maximize profits. It's something that we've talked about on the podcast, this extreme optimization and drive for efficiency, not enough slack, can lead to breakdown when there's economic stress. And we're seeing that in the shortages in the supply chain right now because of that drive for efficiency. West points out that cities operate in a more distributed way. Power is spread across multiple structures, mayors, councils, businesses, citizen action groups. No group has absolute control. Different constituents work together to compromise, and the cities evolve. In Haiti and Port-au-Prince, there's been more and more concentration of power with the gangs. The flexibilities of cities can be hindered by other levels of government. The state of California, in their recent legislative session, Governor Gavin Newsom signed 770 new bills into law, much of them micromanaging layers of government and businesses and individuals, reducing some of their flexibility. Now, I'm sure some of those laws were needed. This isn't just Democrats that control the governorship and state legislature in California. We saw the same thing in Idaho, where the legislature and governorship is controlled by Republicans. Toward the end of the session, the Idaho legislature, in two days, right at the end, passed a 26-page property tax bill. Not a very well-written bill, but they limited the ability of cities, municipalities, they gave them a cap that they couldn't raise their budget by more than 8% in a given year without getting two-thirds approval from the electorate. The bill was written in a very ambiguous way. It wasn't clear if that cap was on the budget growth or on the growth in property taxes. For a rapidly growing town that's expanding, they might actually need to increase their budget by more than 8%. But that top-down concentration of power Seeking to limit the flexibility of cities can be harmful. The other thing that can cause cities to die is selfishness, a lack of caring, more focus on one's private welfare at the expense of the public good. I saw this in New York. I went on the subway, which was very, very clean, the car I was on. A family walked on, 
and a member dropped their water bottle that had tea or something in it. It spilled some on the floor, and they sat down and ignored it. We watched as we went from one stop to the next, as that stream of tea moved down the car. Now, maybe they didn't have anything to clean it up. I wished I had a handkerchief or something to clean it up. But that uncaring attitude. When I went to Tokyo for the first time, I was shocked that there weren't any trash cans anywhere, but there was no litter. Because the attitude is, your garbage is your own. Take it back to your house. In New York, Sunday morning, I walked down from our hotel and I walked all the way down West Broadway to the World Trade Center site in Memorial and then walked back up Broadway. And at one point, I got to a part where there was just trash everywhere, like a bomb had hit. I didn't even realize it was Canal Street where our hotel was. I just I didn't know where I was. And I asked the guy sweeping it up and he had a lot to sweep. Why is there more trash here? And his response was, it's always like this. And they clean it up every day, apparently. It's that lack of caring, that lack of caring for public good. And when that trust in your fellow citizens breaks down and fear takes over and dominance and selfishness, that can cause a city to die. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. Next month, there's a book coming out that I'm looking forward to. It's 
titled The Dawn of Everything. It's by David Graeber and David Wengro. In this book, they debunk this theory that everything is very linear, that we have hunter-gatherers and there was this linear progression to become more enlightened, to use technology, form cities with democratic processes, elected leaders. That sounds like that wasn't necessarily the case. A lot of the early cities didn't have any type of centralized administration, no monarchy. There really wasn't any evident distinction in rank or wealth, so they just got along. Urban centers arose before monarchies arose. There were, as Graeber and Wengro point out, popular councils and citizen assemblies that managed things. They made choices on how they were going to manage themselves. In the review of the book in The Atlantic, William DeResowitz wrote, the overriding point is that hunter-gatherers made choices, conscious, deliberate, collective, about the ways they wanted to organize their societies, to apportion work, dispose of wealth, distribute power. In other words, they practiced politics. Some of them experimented with agriculture and decided that it wasn't worth the cost. Others looked at their neighbors and determined to live as differently as possible. Cities are an ecosystem that evolve. They're complex. They're messy. Rarely is there a shock that can lead to irreparable damage, including a pandemic. New York will continue to evolve, as will other cities. We don't know how. There's still no consensus on what the workplace will be like post-COVID. Will employees have to all work in the office or will there be more flexibility? Probably the latter. Much of that office space in New York, there potentially will be less density. Each worker will be given more space to keep the social separation. So in thinking about cities, how can we be more like them? There is a rhythm to the city. There's a phrase I've thought a lot about this year by the French philosopher Gustave Thibon who wrote The Rhythms of Spiritual Life. He said, measure repeats, rhythm renews. Pure repetition, that's not the way cities work or ecosystems work. There's cycles. Thibben continues, biological, psychological, and historical cycles are never completely symmetrical. They don't repeat exactly, but contain within each of their alternations something irreducibly new. There are aspects of cities in our lives that are permanent. In the case of cities, the roads, the path of the roads through New York don't change very much. The paths of the subway don't change very much. My life over the past seven years, there are some consistent things that do repeat, some cycles. I've podcasted for seven years. I write, I travel, but it's not the same every time. I allow for some change, for some evolution. I build in some slack for the unexpected. Try to keep some of that same flexibility that are there with cities. Much of what happens in the city just isn't planned out. It's not so much top-down. While there is some top-down elements, much of it is bottom-up. New businesses that start, things that become popular. One of the things I'm trying to do in my life is just not plan so much. Oliver Berkman in his book, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals, used a phrase I've thought a lot about. 
He suggests we don't want to spend our lives leaning into the future, worrying about whether things will work out, experiencing everything in terms of some later hoped-for benefit so that peace of mind never quite arrives. The idea that you're so planned out and you're just thinking about what's next, that future, rather than just stay in the present and watch as things evolve. He writes, Meaningful productivity often comes not from hurrying things up, but from letting them take the time they take. Surrendering to what in German has been called Eigenzeit, or the time inherent to a process itself. I used to worry about my podcast this week's just taking too much time to produce. I got to hurry it up. Or this task is just taking too much time. And rather than worrying about measuring how long something takes, just allow it to evolve and take the time it takes to do it well. So I'm trying not to plan so much. I'm focusing on rhythm. There's certain things I do each week, each month, but I don't repeat it the same way every single time. I seek for a variety of inputs, experiences, diversity of opinions, and insights. I build in buffers in case things don't work out as well as I would like. But I'm also willing to commit. At some point, I choose to do things. I make choices rather than try to keep all my options open. And stop leaning so much into the future and focus on today. Now, these are a lot of thoughts I've been reflecting on this year. And I suspect you have too, post-pandemic or hopefully the latter stages of the pandemic. Many countries, it won't be over for years. It's endemic. And that was one of the interesting things about being in the city. People were adapting to COVID, to this major economic and health shock. And despite it, we still have to make choices, do things and act. And we don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know how cities, countries, or economies will evolve. Primarily bottom-up, not top-down, with occasional shocks like COVID. Cities are resilient, but they can fail and degrade into chaos. If there's a lack of trust, selfishness, over-concentration of power. And if it is failing, we have the option to leave. One of the things I'm working on in the next year is to start the process of getting permanent residency in Mexico. Now, Mexico is also a country with a lot of problems, but having that flexibility to go somewhere in case we need to. I don't think we'll have to, but you never know. And that's another way to kind of build in the resiliency that we see in cities that often we don't see in companies or other systems that are overly optimized. That's episode 363. Thanks for listening. I'd like to help you become a better investor. Certainly the free podcast helps with that. But have you subscribed to my email newsletter? It's where I share an essay on money investing in the economy each week to that list of thousands of email subscribers. I put a great deal of thought and time into that newsletter, and I would love you to be able to read it and learn from it. You can sign up for the Insider's Guide newsletter at moneyfortherestofus.com. Another way I would love to help you become a better investor is by you becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. This is the premier investment education platform that's been operating for almost seven years now. 
Plus membership gives members the tools and resources they need to manage their investment portfolios. Not only can you tap into my more than two decades of investment experience, look at my portfolio trades, but my research is backed by top-tier institutional research partners such as Ned Davis Research, Capital Economics, MSCI, Refinitiv Data Stream. I curate the most important content and lessons to help you make better portfolio decisions. You also access a community of over a thousand members to get their insights. Money for the Rest of Us Plus is a bargain compared to a college credit or subscribing to institutional research services that cost tens of thousands of dollars per year or even hiring a financial advisor. You can learn more at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.